are you ready to go offside? Because it's time for Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts, and myself, Doug Ireland. We are back with another awesome, almost the end of summer interview with the one and the only Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. He is the beat reporter for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I want to thank him again for taking the time. Terry, how is your evening going? Going good, guys. Uh, you know, last week of summer now, and camp around the corner and everything else, so it's good. Everything's going well. And I have to say, my co-host is always Doug. How is the night treating you? Uh, it's doing good. I'm going to echo the uh, the talk about the camp. You know, you got kids coming out of their their camps off in the woods, and they're going into their hockey camp. So it's uh, it's that special kind of year, uh, special time <laughs> yeah. of year, I should say. <laughs> well, Terry, what we do with most guests is obviously. Everybody who knows the Leafs knows who you are, but for someone who may just read your articles and glaze over who actually writes the awesome articles, who are you and what do you do for the Maple Leafs and how do you cover them? Well, I've been around uh, the team since 2000. Um, started, I covered the OHL uh, before that uh, at the Sun. Um, you know, I kind of lucked out, guys, because when St. Mike's came back in the Ontario Hockey League, then followed by Brantford and Mississauga a year later in the late 90s, I kind of uh, took that, hit the ground running, joined the Leaf Beat in 2000, came off it for two or three years, uh, about nine, ten years ago, and uh, was back on in 2010, 2011. So, um, been doing it since. Uh, love it. Uh, I've seen a lot with this club, starting with you know the, the great Pat Quinn teams in the early 2000s, through uh, you know a bit of a Death Valley uh, in recent years, and now this resurgence. The talents of guys that we just haven't seen before on this team. So it, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's it's a great team to be around. It's a good locker room for us, a good dressing room, I should say, because I'm Canadian, not American. And uh, it's just a good group. And uh, I think that I think the good things await. Uh, a lot of hockey to be played, obviously, but it's a um, it's a group that uh, everyone listening and in Leafs Nation should be quite excited about. I think. Well, we got a lot of topics that we want to cover with you, so we're going to delve into some of those things that you're talking about, about the good atmosphere and about the dark days and things like that. I'd have to start off, though, obviously, by picking your brain and saying, what is your most memorable moment so far covering the Leafs? Well, I think you have to go back to uh, the O2 conference final against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and when Matt Sundin tied the game, with uh, how many seconds are left? Was it game six? Uh, at, at the ACC, and then you know, it was, was it uh, was a Marty Zellina who scored in overtime for the for the Hurricanes to to, to move the Hurricanes onto the Cup final. If Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I just remember that um, you know, it's funny. A lot of a lot of moments involve Sundin, the 500th goal, I believe, in overtime against the Calgary Flames, and a lot of the things that he did against Ottawa in a lot of those early playoff series. I was uh, fortunate enough to cover. Um, Alexander McGillney, who until Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews came along, was the most talented Leaf I had seen in person, uh, bar none. Uh, the guy was just uh, a little treat to watch and a treat to cover. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that, uh, listen, guys, I say been around the scene for most part since 2000. But as we all know, when you cover the only club that doesn't make the playoffs between uh, lockouts, you know, the great memories of, of, of all this sort of thing aren't, aren't, uh, they're not exactly a, a full, uh, cup of them, if you will. But, um, you know, like I said, it, it's getting, it's getting back to it, it's uh, the feeling around the team. Now it's been there for a few years. I know that, you know, knocking on the door in the playoffs and meeting the Bruins and things that have happened. But, uh, and again, uh, if, you're, if you're talking about more recently covering, uh, uh, Austin Matthews first game in the NHL, when he did what he did in Ottawa, um, a few years ago, that's, uh, that's that's crazy. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. I could be wrong, but in our lifetimes, I doubt it. Um, the com- it the just, comment uh, from Connor McDavid else. was the best. What's that? I said the the comment from Connor McDavid when Austin Matthews scored their four for his four goals was what, what, absolute gold. What did he say again? So when Austin Matthews scored those goals, they went over to Connor McDavid and they asked him, you know, what do you think of Austin Matthews' debut? And he goes, well, there's all of us in the NHL, and then you have Austin Matthews. Basically <laughs> yeah, referencing the good. fact that the guy goes out and scores four goals, and I'm Connor McDavid who just scored, you know, over 100 points, and, you know, but yeah. it doesn't matter because this guy comes in the league, scores four goals. So, yeah, it was yeah, just the yeah, way he put it. it. And listening to the interview from Connor was just the way he said it. You could tell he was like, yeah, this guy, is, he's coming in with something special. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, the other two things I remember for that night are, A, Matthews being more pissed off that he let his, he let his guy go in overtime when he lost that night. Yep. And, B, um, I think it was, well, I don't think it was, Roberto Luongo at that night tweeting something about, you know, Rhymes is going to play all the games against the Leafs this year. And um, I, I, <laughs> I like the recognition that. from the NHL. Yeah, the recognition from, from across the NHL, like you're saying, David, and all this sort of thing. It was just, uh, and it's one of those things that you're watching and going, okay, so he scores. And then the manner in which he scored those goals, you guys remember. I mean, the, the one where he picked uh, Carlson's pocket. And there was another one where he went through the whole team. And, you know, I like the two-on-ones before. It was, just, it was just something to watch. And uh, one of those things that's it's unfolding, you're not, you're not quite sure what you're seeing. Other than that, it's beyond impressive. I, I think it's one of those those moments where in order to, to find something truly comparable, you have to go out of the sports, uh, out of the sport. Like uh, I would say yeah, the only yeah. thing that comes close would be the way Bichette has performed coming in with the Blue Jays. I think that's the, yeah. that's what comes to mind at least. There's just not a ton of parallels to see that that level of skill that early in a player's career. No, then debuts and, uh, you know, he goes on to have the season that he does and, um, you know, we'll see. This is, uh, you know, the start of five years now and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But, um the potential with, with himself and uh, and Marner and, of course, several others is um, unlike anything we've seen in this market for a long time, if ever. Uh, no, we fi- finally got some talented players. And I'm going to reference the uh, the Joe Bowen line, which I thought maybe you would as well, Terry. When you asked Joe Bowen his memorable moment, his favorite memorable moment, he says it hasn't happened yet because the Leaf hasn't <laughs> yeah. won the Cup. They haven't done that right. big thing. And he said he can't wait to call that. So that seems to be a prevailing thought amongst a lot of people, especially when you hear Joe Bowen say it. So that's why I thought I'd ask. Yeah, you know what? It's true. And you, you, I think the, the parallel, obviously, here in Toronto is watching the Raptors win the NBA title this spring and, and, and knowing what it was like for my colleagues in this business to cover that from, from start to finish. And to be to be in there, like I referenced the O2 uh, conference final guys. I mean, I think they went to me at 28th or 9th that year and it was six or seven weeks of just intensity and, you know, um, to, to then do a one round further and to have the opportunity to cover a cup final that your team is playing in. Uh, no, no matter how that ends, to have that opportunity to do that would be pretty wonderful. And, you know, you, I kind of look upon my, like I said, my, the Raptors guys that I know cover the Raps with a, with a twinge of, uh, of uh, jealousy because you want to do that. And you want to, you put the you put the time into it. You don't see your family much at all for for seven or eight weeks. But in the end, uh, you know you can you can do something. You can say you've covered something that not a lot of people have had the opportunity to do. Uh, certainly not in the in the in the uh, team they cover on a daily basis during the season. So that would be incredible uh, to cover a Maple Leafs run. And I don't know. It's funny since then, I'm sure you guys have discussed it with others, all this sort of thing amongst your friends and that. But you kind you you kind of wonder seeing the parade that we did and how insane that was for the Raptors, what that would be like for the Maple Leafs, and I don't really think uh, you know you can properly pro- properly say what that would be uh, just going off our imagination. No, the city would be not at all. Be drunk all summer, I think. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the crazy thing about Maple Leafs fans is we all know watching the games and just seeing them is just how well they travel. So you'd have to yeah. think if a parade were to happen for the Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup, it would be on the Raptors level. And there's lots of people out there that said, oh, no, there wouldn't be that many Maple Leafs fans out there. I guarantee you there would be yeah. a comparable number of Maple Leaf fans, especially, like I said, how well they travel with the team. Well, just given the 50-plus uh, the years and and the heartache and everything else and, uh, you know, this chip on the shoulder that Maple Leafs, uh, Leafs Nation uh, members of it uh, rightfully carry. Um, I I don't know if it would be comparable to what the Raptors I just think it would be bigger, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, Terry, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, you've covered a lot of different players and stuff over the years and coaches. Yep. Is there a particular player or coach over the years that – you like you cherished getting sound bites from, or that you particularly enjoyed uh, getting to hear from? Yeah, Pat Quinn, no doubt. Uh, you know, for me, it's a young guy coming in, like I said, in 2000, starting when I did, and um, it was a veteran club, uh, as you guys would remember. And but just to be around Pat Quinn, I mean, we used to say, and we still do, when we talk about those days, that he could speak to us for say 12 minutes after a practice, and you get back to the office to write and um, or whatever. And 
10 of those minutes would be gold and you'd end up leaving things on the cutting room floor as, as, as we might say, because you couldn't, you couldn't use it all. And, uh, Quinn just had a way about talking. It was funny. There was always this idea that Quinn didn't enjoy speaking to reporters and didn't, didn't like it. Um, but was so, he was so damn good at it and really broke the game down well. And for a young, like I said, for a younger guy like myself coming in and, and, and covering a team like that, um, to start, it helped a lot. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was lucky. I talked to Pat a few times after the Leafs let him go and just a really good, solid man. And, uh, you know, it was tough a few years ago that his, his life ended the way it did. Uh, but I, I don't know if it's because he was the first coach that I covered with the team, but certainly he, I would put him at the top of that list. Um, not to say that the men who have come after him and there's anything wrong with them. Um, you know, certainly a guy like Ron Wilson was as acerbic as they come, sarcastic and all that sort of thing. But uh, it just... Quinn, that, that presence that he had and and everything else, uh, you know, that that's something that lasts for me for sure. I, I can still picture him chewing the ice or the gum or whatever with that yeah, kind of half or, grin. <laughs> that's right. Or, or when you get frustrated, remember you'd throw the gum yeah. and uh, <laughs> yep. down the bench, you know, and he just, he just, uh, and he, you know, having been a former player and doing the things he did in the NHL, I think there was a real respect level there for the players uh, that was genuine, and uh, that came through a lot. And he was, he was really protective of his guys, and uh, that came through a lot. I think in the way he coached, the way he was with us. But uh, no, he was just uh, he he was kind of a larger than life character for sure. I know when the Leafs let him go. Uh, I so looked at my on Leafs the same fandom kind of vein, card. Uh, are there any players that that were best to talk like kind of off the record with, rather than uh, getting sound bites or, or kind of interview pieces from? Are there any that you like? enjoy talking to away from kind of the media's eye well you know what a lot of play, it's it's tough to it's tough to kind of put them into that kind of um uh compartment because everything is more or less on the record but if you're just shooting the breeze if you will like and i'm not saying that you're, you're going to players and say, and say to me saying to them tell me you know a b and c about what's going on with you know whoever um but i referenced a guy like alexander Wagilney, who to watch to, to watch was one thing but Wagilney had a real dry sense of humor and uh, was a really bright, articulate person. And um, he, he, he just brought that forward in interviews. Um, and, and, and not only in interviews, but after, you know, the, the scrum would break up, you'd, you'd talk to him and that sort of thing. Um, who else would I put in that category? Uh, Matt Skagen was a really good – Alan McCauley, a young guy in that team way back when um, – it's just knowledgeable and articulate. You could talk to Alan about a lot of things that had nothing to do with hockey. And those things were, you know, you get to know players that way and what their interests outside the rink are. And, and now, and now with this team, I mean, it's interesting now because it, it's a, a good team and they know it, that uh, doesn't go to their heads, but it's also young. And uh, I think that that kid, that goes a long way as well. And I think we're getting to know the players a little more now than we might've in the past, as, as much as we say that, sound by their coach and all this sort of thing, their condition to deal with the media. You still get to know guys uh, to a greater degree, I think. And um, that's why I can say with confidence, it's, it's probably the best dream I've covered in nearly 20 years. Well, Terry, dealing with the team, you know, day in and day out and dealing with a lot of different coaches and GMs, obviously there's egos and things involved all the time. Was there yeah. ever, without naming any names, was there ever an era where it ended with a coach or a GM and you were just like, okay, that was needed. That needed to happen, and we need to move on, either because of a dark cloud or just because of the way the team was going. Was there ever a moment that felt that way? One situation for me was mm-hmm. I didn't like what they did to Horacek, but I definitely right. think that they needed to move on from him as quick as possible. But I'm wondering in your time, is there ever a situation you've seen where you're like, yeah, this team needs to move on and move forward? Well, I think the Ron Wilson era was probably that. I don't, listen, a guy like Horacek, you're right, the – we knew that they were moving on. Peter knew that they were moving on. I mean, that was a fait accompli, I think, months before it happened. Like, how many, I'm trying to think now, how many months was Horacek even relieved the head coach? And, uh, you know, and any, 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 but the thing was, guys, the funny thing is about Horacek is he, he gave us one of the best quotes in the past couple of decades, did he not? About the, the remember what he said about the meter the one night? Oh yeah, the, the yeah the, the quote unquote the give a crap meter, but of course Horacek was a little more uh, was a little more descriptive. Um, Listen, but, you how know, many what, coaches they, and GMs have used that since then, and how many media pundits have used that well, now? It's exactly. basically it a new great. new stick, right? <laughs> it was great. It was great, and you know what? As far as uh, you know, 
the, the way the Pat Quinn era ended was was unfortunate for Quinn, of course. I mean, the Leafs, well, they, I think they missed the playoffs by like two two points that year. We knew that when Paul Maurice was hired to coach the Farm Club, what was what was happening. Um, I think that that was in the cards for quite a bit. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I think the whole Wilson issue, when all that came to a head too, and, and um, was it the fire one Wilson chance for the last home game at the ECC? Uh, I think it was, you know, and then, and then, and then that was that you could tell at that point, even though he just had the extension, signed the extension a couple of months prior, it got to a point where it was time to, to uh, move on. And, you know, the, imagine that caused some strain between, between himself and Brian Burke. Um, and that of course led to the Randy Carlisle era. But uh, no, I, I think that that for me, that was probably the one that, that comes to mind for sure. Well, for you, I know you've done a lot of, looking at this team we talked about austin matthews not but a few minutes ago about the mm-hmm. debut and i don't know if there's anything that could possibly top that but in your mind is there one moment that instantly stands out in your head about this team one for me is when steve thomas dropped the puck to matt sundin he wired it home in overtime that was one of yeah. those moments that that sticks in my head but for you i'm wondering being able to cover the team is there one big moment outside of austin matthews four goals that you're just like I was there for that. Wow. Well, I don't know if it, I'd probably, um, like I said, probably some of those early, I, the Neuendijk two goals on Patrick Lulene, Corey Cross's overtime winner against Ottawa. I'm going to get the Springs mixed up because, you know, they kept knocking at the Senators every year, guys, in the, in the early 2000s. <laughs> and, and those things, well, they, it's true, right? And they all, those, those moments oh, all yeah. kind of bleed together. So you think you're remembering it from one series. I will say this. Um, especially with the way the game has gone now, and I'm not taking anything away from the intensity of the, the NHL playoffs and what happens over the course of two months because the, the level, of, as we all know, is, is much greater than anything we see in the regular season. But it's not a moment, it's a series. I don't think we'll ever see, again, they have to be special circumstances of what happened to the Maple Leafs and the Islanders. What year was that? Was that 02? It was 02, I think. Uh, just, just the, the uh, series was a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath. And... Yeah, you're talking uh, about the one where Pekka and Corson and... Well, Pekka, Corson, um, who were the Islanders involved? Uh, uh, Webb, um, Eric Cairns was, was oh, uh, yeah. on that team. You know, it just, it was, um, it, it, it was mean, it was nasty, it was, it was just uh, something to watch. And those games, I remember, in, in, um, on Long Island. I mean, you, you know, the, the hotel there at the, the Marriott... Is across is a lot of people know is across the parking lot from Nassau County Coliseum, and one of the, one of the games I can't remember which one I looked out in the afternoon, you know, it was tailgating going on and everything, and, and some guy rides in with a Canada flag, it's ripped from him, and, it, and before you know it, it's burning on the ground. I remember thinking I got to walk across this parking lot to get to the game in about three hours, <laughs> you know, and it, it was it was just but that whole that whole series is like something that came and went because I don't think we haven't seen it like that since. Uh, well, another series that comes to mind for me is the the Devils and uh, the Maple Leafs when Domi hit Niedermeyer yes. and they had well, the was, uh, the Domi doll right. and they're hanging them and everything. Wow, <laughs> that that was that was too, but that was that Domi Niedermeyer incident was a lot more isolated because the Islanders Leafs series was like that from start to finish. And yeah. was was that the series that the Leafs when I think with eliminated was it held the six shots on goal or was that a year before yes. again? They played, yeah, they played the Devils a few times there, but. I think the, 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 the Domi thing, you, you never forget. We go to New Jersey, and, and I think he was made available to us there, and he, he knew it was over, and it was just um, it, it was something else. And, you know, I think it was uh, Quinn that lamented at the time that Domi might have played as, as long as the, one of the best games he played for the Maple Leafs uh, that night, and it had to end the way it did. So, um, But, uh, you know, these are different memories. These are uh, a lot of physical things. That's sort of thing. the team that, we, that we're seeing now. Uh, memory is going to be made in different ways, but like I said, we have to watch it all unfold first. So, a lot of, so there's a, a lot of on site, uh, on ice stuff that you've gotten to yeah. to that we've talked about. Um, but let's take let's go back to July first of last year when Tavares right. is finally coming home. How busy of a day was that for you? And what was your initial reaction to the Leafs getting like a big name like Tavares like that? Well, it was it was I think it was a lot of, like everything else. This has never happened before in Toronto where the guy comes to the Maple Leafs, yep. period. And has no, well, I, I don't want to say has no reservations about coming home for probably, you know, less money than we got anywhere else, because I know that Tavares put a lot of um, 
long, hard thinking into that and knew what the repercussions might be on their side with, with Islanders fans and all that sort of thing. But I think that got a little more out of hand than it, than it uh, needed to. But I remember that day, um, you know, you, you, you know what's going on. There was the tweets, of course, from himself, uh, you know, sleeping in the um, in the Maple Leafs covers and all that sort of thing. And it's also a crazy photo. But uh, <laughs> it, it was just, uh, I remember the, um, you know, we go, so we get to the rink and we've got the uh, the, the news conference there. Tavares is in the dressing room with his uh, sweater. Babcock spoke to us that day and Babcock was over the moon. And, you know, being around Mike like we have now for, what is it, four years, and before I had in Detroit, Mike's not a guy that really exudes that sort of thing um, uh, under under usual circumstances, and clearly signing Tavares is not a usual circumstance. Uh, but he knew what kind of player he was getting, and uh, certainly in Tavares' first year, he lived up to that. But I just remember it being uh, it was busy because we all had so many things to write, and you want to make sure all the angles are covered of what a, monu- what a monumental day it is. But just still, I think for a lot of people, whether you're covering the team and a fan of the team, the days and weeks afterwards, just kind of thing, it's, it still is kind of hard to believe that Tavares picked the Leafs over these five other suitors yep. and and came home, like I said, for the money that he came home. I mean, nothing to sneeze out, of course, but uh, Kyle Dubas was able to do it. They, they gave a hell of a pitch, of course, and... Um, you know, it was, uh, you could have asked for, other than, you know, of course, the team getting eliminated in the first round. I don't think you could have asked for a better season for Tavares than his first of uh, seven years on the uniform. No, that's definitely true. Now, we were just talking about huge playoff rivalries the Maple Leafs had. You can't tell me, though, if the Toronto Maple Leafs and the New York Islanders somehow match up in the playoffs, that that isn't uh-huh. going to be complete smoke show fire every game. Well, here I am just saying, yeah, you're right, five minutes ago, maybe we'll never see again what we saw with the Islanders and Leafs, uh, you know, 16, 17 years ago. But, yeah, when you bring that possibility into it, uh, who knows? I mean, and you know what? You'd like to think that Islanders fans will, will, uh, will you know, time will have uh, made their memories a little clearer of what Tavares was able to bring to, to the island when he played there. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I can't remember what it is. The Leafs are going there off the top. I think they go there in mid-November, actually, uh, for the first time in Nassau County. So we'll have to see. But, yeah, I mean, that's that now becomes that sort of rivalry. Not only, of course, with Tavares coming to the Leafs guys, but, you know, the way that all went down, Lamorello leaving Toronto, thinking there's a, a really good opportunity that he's going to be able to re-sign Tavares in New York, and that doesn't happen. And then some of the things that Lou said uh, when, when, it, when it went down, I mean um, – it should be water under the bridge, but if those two teams made in the playoffs, I don't imagine it will be, and all those things will come back to the surface again. Well, you know the media is going to stir that up, for one, but you know the fan bases will be the, the second part of that. And, I mean, you look at the Dear John videos last year and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I know we won't see that again, but definitely I do see if these two teams meet in the playoffs, it will be absolute fire. I, I can't wait, to be honest, because – it will take us back to those Ottawa Senator days, back to those yeah. New York Islander days, you know, where you get really pumped up. And if we happen to beat the Islanders, it'll be great because the comments that Lou made when JT signed and then other comments he's made subsequently after that, like about mm-hmm. Komarov and, oh, he needs to come over and play for a team that, you know, is going to play him properly and utilize him properly. I mean, Mike Babcock was playing the guy 22 minutes a night. Like, let's get yeah, off that yeah. for a second. But yeah. I want to see these two teams play. I think it'll be absolutely awesome. Yeah, it would be. It, it'd be I, – I don't think we can properly describe right now what's the series that, that uh, like that would be. And, and whether it's in the first round or, or second, whatever it might whatever might happen, if it does uh, – you could see harkening back to those days, but um, I don't know. It's I, I would expect that even in the regular season this year, before we get to that point, if it happens, we're still going to see some uh, interesting reaction from the uh, fans in the island when the Leafs go back. I do have one describer for you: uh, better than playing yes. Boston again. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's yeah, and, and the Boston thing. I mean, it, it's funny. It's uh, you know, two years in a row where you, you get down to the nitty gritty and. The Leafs weren't run out of the building through a series, a whole series against the Bruins by any stretch of imagination, and uh, the result's the same. But, um, you know, uh, there will be a day when the Maple Leafs knock the Bruins off in the playoffs. I firmly believe that. But, uh, again, like everything else, we'll have to see when and if that happens. Well, 
Just to touch back on JT for one second before we jump into yep. the old Bruins and coaching and stuff. Last year, with John Tavares finally coming home, it was lined up last year to make it feel like something really special. Obviously, the hometown boy coming back. But then you had the Nylander situation with him sitting out. Right after right. that, you have Matthews sign. Then Marner come out with his agent and cause a little bit of a hoopla. And yep. from your perspective, covering the team in the locker room and being around them the whole time, did us as fans, did we blow it out of proportion or was it really a year that never really got off on the right track and kind of had a dark cloud the entire year? Or do we just, think, like I said, do no. we blow that out? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was a dark cloud at all. I mean, um, you're, you're talking to a guy who was covering the team in the Phoenix Kessel era when it was a, a dark cloud at all times for legitimate <laughs> reasons because they weren't, they weren't any good and there was yep. a lot of negativity in the room. Um, I, I never had that sense uh, last year. I, I think that, you know, as far as the Nylander situation went, uh, you know, I thought it was great that Kyle Dubas came out. But whenever it was, I, I can't remember it was when Nylander signed at the end of the year, he might have reiterated it. But, you know, you, you don't want to – there are things we could have done to kind of prevent us from going down that path had we done them properly and didn't like that it went to December 1st and all this sort of thing. But. No, I, I never, I, I didn't have that sense being around them that there was that there was something like that. Uh, um, it was a situation, of course, that that didn't get much better just from the Nylander stance because they didn't have, you know, a great season. What he ended up with seven goals, I think, and twenty-seven points. So um, I think he's going to hit the reset button and be much better uh, this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but no, I, you know, what happened at the end? You look back, you'll get Kadri again getting suspended. You lose to the Bruins again. Um, in hindsight, it might appear that way, but as the season was happening, I didn't have that feeling. Um, kind of talking on the uh, the same subject of uh, blowing things out of proportion, we uh, we're kind of wondering if maybe we're we're guilty of the same thing, and, and we're wondering what the the mood covering the team when uh, was when uh, Babcock made the comments after the the Muzzin trade, uh, and then with the depth signings, like was it business as usual, or maybe did some people kind of emphasize those comments a little a uh, little bit much yeah you, you're are you talking about the base was one the sign muzzity more or less said, okay well i guess we'll take this and work with it i mean it yeah. was uh, yeah that's what, you, yeah. Know, you know yeah not the right-handed shot that, that babcock coveted and all this sort of thing um i can't speak for kyle dubas uh i can't speak for what goes on behind closed doors between the two of them my assumption would be that it wasn't uh that, that couldn't have gone over too well. And then at the end of the season, when Dubas really surprises everybody, when the Babcock question comes up and he says, well, like everyone else, you're re- reevaluated, you know, obviously the eyebrows went up and said, okay, interesting, where is this relationship? But um, uh, I, I'm curious to see where that goes going forward now. And, um, uh, you know, if you buy into the idea, if the Leafs don't get, you know, to – to, to this spot in the playoffs, is Babcock gone? Will he be gone? Um, we don't know that right now. Uh, you know, but having said all this, Dubas has come out since and, and given Babcock a real vote of confidence. But uh, having said that, guys, so the Leafs know what they have in, in Mike Babcock. They know he's outspoken. As much as Babcock saying that publicly might have ruffled some feathers behind closed doors, I don't think it came as a shock a guy like Kyle Dubas or Brandon Pridham or anyone else with the, with the management team that, that Babcock was um, being as honest, if you will, that he was with us because I would imagine, like I said, they get that to a greater degree when they're discussing the team as a whole in their offices, which they do a lot. And, uh, you know, this, the, whole, the whole idea of whether they get along and all this sort of thing, I can't speak to that, but I do know that the, 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 uh, the communication between the two is more or less constant. And that's what you want in a coach and a GM. And you have to understand they're not always going to see eye to eye. You wouldn't want them to, I, I think. You know, you're going to get more creativity if you're, if you're butting heads every so often. But, uh, yeah, that, that was interesting. That raised eyebrows for sure. And they got Muzzin. And it wasn't an audience, it wasn't the player. I think Babcock really likes him. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how Jake Muzzin, as veteran as he is coming in, I, I think did some good things for these. Now is able to start from day one training camp. Uh, learn under Babcock, uh, you know, learn under probably a new coaching staff and go from there. And, and maybe if Ron Hainsey gone now, Jake Muzzin takes on more of a, well, he will take on more of a veteran 
uh, leadership role on that blue line. But, uh, you know, having said all this, I don't think it hurt the player either. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a personal thing there, but um, I was so curious at the time that it was said, you know, sorry, the way that it was. Yep. Well, the other part to that was obviously, you know, Babcock came out and said things about Tampa and other teams that have all this depth. And That's now right. you see in the off season. You know, Mike, uh, not Mike Babcock, sorry, Kyle Dubas go out and get that right-hand shot defenseman that Babcock was kind of yeah. barking about when that trade happened. And then the slew of depth signings that the Leafs yeah. did. I mean, you look at them, Nick Shore, Kenny Agostino, uh, Jason Spezza, you keep going down the list. There's all kinds of guys these guys have added. Now, yeah. you know, basically, I think it's Dubas pushing his chips into the middle saying, hey, I've now given you everything you've coveted. Please yeah. do something with it. Yeah. You've got, uh, you know, even a guy like Ilya Mikhaev, who I think is going to get a long look, and I respect uh, starts the season on the team from the way Badcock has talked about him and the few times we've had the opportunity to speak to Mike in the offseason of the draft and this sort of thing, saying that he's going to be a piece for them. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you, and It's not just bringing in Tyson Berry. You hope that um, a guy like Cody Cece, 25 years old, to bring him more than he was than he was bringing to the Ottawa Senators, um, you know Travis Dermott's a bit of a dark horse right now, guys, with the, coming back from the injury and all that sort of thing. But you're right, Dubas has put, put a lot of these pieces in place for Babcock, and, and not only for Babcock really, but obviously for the team. And yeah. you know, yeah. one thing you have to like about the thing that's happened, the things that have happened in the off season, is I think they're going to miss Nazem Kadri. Uh, they're going to miss that spirit that he brings. You can look at him and see Abakoshian, you're an idiot. The last two years, he hasn't been with the, hasn't been there for them in the playoffs because he put himself ahead of the team and got himself suspended. That's true. But I think that there's going to be an element missing with, with Kadri. Having said that, you have not touched the core of this team to make these improvements. You, you have Austin yep. Matthews. You're going, to have, you're going to have Mitch Barner at some point. You have Morgan Riley until the cows come home. You've got Frederick Anderson in goal. Nylander, I, I, the contracts that Janssen and the Kapanen were signed to were great. I think they're both good. For, they're good for both the players and the team. Um, so you've made substantial changes to this roster, and we don't even mention Tavares because we know you know he's obviously part of this. Uh, Kerfoot's another guy that I think we, we shouldn't sleep on either. You made substantial changes to this roster, but you've kept that those core ingredients in place. And obviously, we all know there's still a bit of maneuvering now to get Marner done. I think that will be done, but um, you know, there the the, the 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 pieces are there, and the pieces are there to make the uh, the, the um, improvements defensively. I think, uh, you know, even a guy like Jason Spezza, that that veteran presence that that Spezza is going to bring to the locker room, or said it again, the dressing room will go a long way. But uh, yeah, one of you said that you know the things are there now for Babcock to to. Uh, to really use them properly and excel, and I think that uh, I would agree with that. To touch on Cody Cece for just a second, you know, yep. a lot of people seem to say that he was overplayed in Ottawa and put in the wrong positions, and, you know, Mike Babcock may be able to straighten his game out, and mm-hmm. the reason why I say that is Mike Babcock and the coaching staff of the Maple Leafs were able to change Dion Phaneuf into a tradable asset without retaining salary, so maybe they can get lightning in a bottle again and turn Cody Cece either into something that's a tradable asset or into a defenseman that'll fit into this roster, at least for this year, because that's all they have him signed to. So I'm hoping they yeah. can salvage something there. And like you say, he's only 25, so maybe there mm-hmm. is something there. Obviously, he's in the NHL for a reason, so let's hope that they can use him on the blue line, of course. Well, you know what? I mean, with, with Dermot out, he's going to be in your top four, Cece, right? So to start... I, I think Travis Dermott's gonna, you know, he's a, a, a top four defenseman. Eventually, I think he's he's just trending there. I mean, the, just the way he plays the game, the way he's able to move, he's gonna be a top four guy for you. Does the fact that he shoots left kind of uh, throw a monkey wrench into it with with Riley, the left-handed shot, and Muzzin, the left-handed shot? If Babcock really adheres to his the idea, you got to be, you know, finally be left, right, left, right, left, right. We'll see what happens with Dermott, but. But uh, is going to get that opportunity. And whether it's with, uh, you know, Muzzin or Riley, it's going to be one or the other, um, he's going to get it. And we'll have to see where it goes. I Right now, I think, you know, again, 
Auburn pull up nothing because camp hasn't started. We haven't got a look at it. My guess is that he starts with Riley. You have Muzzin and Barry together. But, again, I, I think that Babcock's going to give um, like he will up front with some of the injuries he's dealing with, Hyman and that sort of thing. He's going to give the people on the blue line uh, some time to gel, give them some different looks in camp. And, you know, the eight, play, the eight exhibition games, so plenty of time to do that. But, uh, um, you know, we, we, like the, we, we like what Barry's going to bring, but I think there's, like we've said, there's potential for CC to add something as well. For sure. For sure. For sure. Well, you talked a moment ago about Mikheyev and the hype surrounding him. And obviously you're seeing the pictures with Babcock and him going around the city, you know, and yeah. his agent toting saying, hey, guess what? This guy is already should be negotiating his next contract because he's going to be that good. And from what I've heard so far, everybody has him penciled in beside Austin Matthews and William Nylander. Um, I'm wondering what your perception is on this player. What is your feeling on the hype and can he deliver? Or is this going to be one of those things where he's been jammed down our throats throughout the summer and he may not actually live up to the expectations, maybe a bottom six guy, not a top six. Well, I I find the, uh, the the intense Babcock interest here, like a little, well, not a little, quite intriguing, which would lead me to believe that, that Babcock is, steadfast in his belief that this guy is going to come in and make an impact right away. Um, again, we'll have to see where. I mean, if you're John Tavares, you could be looking at this going, well, I'm going to probably play through most of camp without the guy who's been on my left or without the guy who's been on my right. So Badcock's going to have to, you know, um, find these these pieces that fit somehow. And, and uh, you know, what, what kind of role is, is a guy like Trevor Moore ready for now? Um, we've discussed what Janssen and Kapanen can bring, you know, both scoring 20 goals last year. I think they're capable of hitting uh, upward of 30, uh, considering who they're going to be playing with. So it's going to be one of the more intriguing parts of camp, guys, is, is where this this big kid fits. And, uh, you know, whether he is still with Matthews or Tavares, the foot probably or possibly on the third line, when Hyman comes back, when Marner is signed in the uniform, and doing the things he's able to do. So, um, you know, we, you talked earlier about the depth uh, that the, the Shores could bring, uh, even the guy like Nick Patan from last year, uh, Kenny Augustino, Gochi's still in the mix, um, among others. But I think Micaiah might be just a step above that, but he's got to prove it. You know, Babcock, you have to remember too, Bab, we, we can think all these things now and have these beliefs and these ideas and, and you can, you know, get a napkin out and throw on throw in a pencil some of the line um, combinations I think Babcock's going to come up with, but the kid's going to have to earn it. And uh, he's going to have to earn it and stay there. And uh, I guess the question for that will be what kind of leash he gets if we don't see that through the exhibition and perhaps for uh, sort of the uh, regular season. But like I said, given Babcock's interest in him, he's going to get a much longer look than uh, um, maybe a lot of these kids that come over from Europe might uh, get initially. Well, Terry, you, uh, you just mentioned Marner a moment ago. Uh, and yep. I believe you said that, you know, kind of almost at a taking it for granted. I'm all, well, I don't even want to say that, but you mentioned that he kind of, he would be suiting up. I'm wondering if you think he's going to sign before the season starts, before training camp starts, or is he going to be another holdout like, uh, like Neilander was? Uh, I, 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 listen again, I, I, I've, I've talked to Darren Ferris a few times over the summer. He's KG. That's just, that's fine. Um, I don't get the sense that we're going to be talking about this on the night of November 30th and whether Marner's going to sign by 5 o'clock the next day. I think it'll be done much before then, uh, whether it's October 1st, like a lot of people seem to think it will be. I don't know. I mean, it depends what falls into place. The Leafs have made the moves they need to make to a degree, you know, with the Clarkson contract and all that to make this work, but I still think something else might have to be done. But I, I just don't see it dragging on over the the, the you know, two months starting from the regular season, like uh, Nylander um, uh, did last year. Um, I don't. It's, it's something personal with Marner. I think this is just part of the deal in, in the business of the game now. Um, there are many other RFAs, as we know, guys across the league who are in a similar situation, and uh, we'll have to see. Um, you know, Marner, if you mind, does wind up going to Switzerland and and getting into better shape over there, uh, comes back and, and ready to hit the ground running with, with the eventuality that he signs. Great. Um, I, I, like I said, I think it's going to happen. But when when is a, is a really big question mark. And, you know, I'd, I'd hate to surmise one thing and have it be something else completely. But I don't think he's going to be there for camp, put it that way. 
if he goes overseas and trains, I hope he doesn't pull the uh, the knee lander and come back a little bit uh, ru- round around the edges. <laughs> well, I don't, Mitch. I don't know. I, you know what? I don't. I don't. I don't see that happening. I, I, and you know, it, it, it's something that uh, this whole Europe thing. I mean, it's you're going to probably get the best. You know, theoretically, the best kind of training you can. I mean, it's a lot better nothing to take away from from any of the major junior clubs in our country. But it serves a player's purpose better to go do that sort of thing to skate with, you know, a team down the road uh, uh, at the uh, at the major junior level. But um, I, I don't think that that would have to be a worry with Marner. I, I think that, you know, no matter where he goes or what he's doing, he's going to be awfully close to being uh, ready when he does uh, sign eventually. So, uh, given that you think Marner's going to sign, I agree uh, entirely. Yeah. I, I I would hope that he'd sign before uh, training camp, but I know that's not that oh. might not be too realistic. But how do you feel uh, the season's going to play out in general? Well, I, I think the Leafs. You know, if, if you look at what some of the other teams have done in the conference, um, I don't think the Leafs are in jeopardy of a. I'm not trying to say that, but a team like the Florida Panthers, they're they're you know. They made the improvements to get into a playoff spot. The Buffalo Sabers are, uh, you know, full of uh, piss and vinegar. I think that they think they're going to think they're going to get the same area too. But you know, it, it's hard, it's hard to envision the the you know, the least not being a top three finisher within the division again, um, unless there yeah. are catastrophic catastrophic injuries that we don't foresee at this point. And, you know, I mean, the one thing we say a lot of the time when we talk about Austin Matthews, and I know some people, some people say injury prone, that sort of thing. I don't believe in that sort of thing. But the Leafs have been able to get through quite nicely when Matthews has been in the lineup in the past few years. And uh, now you guys, we talked about the depth earlier, have even more of that depth to kind of see them through. I'm not assuming that Matthews is going to get hurt again. I'm just saying that, you know, that, that possibility. But... I will be uh, like a lot of people. I'll be quite surprised if they're not a top three finisher in the division. And I just, uh, you know, if ever if everyone's healthy and playing to their to their ability, um, but there's just no way they fall out of those uh, that lofty position. There's too much skill in one place. That's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's and, it. And you know what? Yeah, it, it, and right. And one thing, we, one thing we didn't touch on. Maybe we were going to get to it. Is the whole ice time issue. You have a guy like Matthews now who's making the type of money he is. He absolutely has to be getting more ice time next season. Uh, whether you hear Babcock power, say he's power. not, though. Well, you know what? Then, then that's going to be an issue that they're going to have to come to in camp and let that sort itself out. I, I guess the one, the one answer to that would be you've got when you have the depth that you have at forward, and not just with with the Tavares, the, the the one two with him and Matthews. You know, I would think the twenty eight or twenty nine teams across the league would uh, love to have that one two punch at, at center, but just the the um, uh, on, on the wings as well, the depth that you have, but we'll see. I, I just, I just, I, I just can't see Matthews being in the same position that he's been in ice time wise. No matter what Babcock is saying now, uh, once the season gets rolling, and uh, you know there, there could be some consternation there on the players' part. We'll have to see um, whether they whether they get that all ironed out. But if you're Austin Matthews and you're pulling in 11.6 a year for the next five years, you don't want to look at the uh, at the time on ice every night and see that, you know, 50 to 75 guys across the league are getting more ice time than you are across the board. It just doesn't make any sense no matter what the depth is for the Maple Leafs. I think it's going to be on Babcock to try to make that work a little bit more in the players' favor. And if that happens, then it works in the team's favor. But uh, you, you make that type of money, you can't, you know, 17, 18 minutes a night, I don't quite understand. But we'll see. Well, you listen to his reasoning over the summer. Obviously, he looks at, you know, keeping the player fresh and doing this and doing that. So right. you're saying maybe that if Babcock doesn't give these minutes, do you see, I'm not saying that you're saying this, I should say, yeah. preference it that I am, but do you see that uh, maybe with a, a hack stall on the bench and a Keefe waiting in the minors, that if he can't figure this kind out and give these players more free reign to play and to contribute to the team with the contract hits that they're making that he may find himself somewhere else if the team gets off to a rough start and these players kind of get a little bit more disgruntled because you you're hearing off season after off season that Matthews is not happy right I don't think I don't think that I don't envision a rough start um so I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that that because of one then bad then Babcock is gone 
could be wrong on that. I mean, we don't have the crystal, we have the crystal ball, but not to the degree they're going to see what's you know actually going to happen. We're going to assume some things. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting uh, situation because when you're when you're uh, when you're making that type of money, and you know how many people in the National Hockey League are, you know, you can count them on one hand, right? Uh, you'd expect to be given the greatest opportunity to earn those dollars. And if that becomes an issue, we'll have to see. But I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think we all are, are, are thinking, guys, that, you know, more, certainly more than Dave Hackstall, that Sheldon Keith is the head coach in waiting here. And, yeah. you know, never mind the relationship that he has with Dubas, although it's a big part of it. Keith has earned his chops with the Marlies. He wins a championship. He takes a team that really shouldn't have gone anywhere near as far as they did in the playoffs this past year, and yeah. uh, they they nearly made it back to the final again. I know some 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 you know some veteran leadership on that team and all that sort of thing, but the Keith is going to be the guy at some point. Whether it's it's because of a rough start, I don't, I don't I'm not sure about that because I just like I kind of alluded to with this team. Never mind who's getting the ice with with the, with the talent that you have. If they're if they're able to stay a injury free, and b you know keep their heads above water until Hyman and, and Dermot get back, which could be quicker than we're assuming, there's not going to be a rough spot because they, if they play to their potential, it's just not going to happen. I think more the, the bad clock question for me, guys, comes into the playoffs. How far do you get? Who, I don't want to say who do you lose to. You lose the Bruins again in the first round, and that question I think becomes moot. But how far do you get? Who, who eliminates you, all this sort of thing. I mean, if the Leafs go, say, they go to the conference final next year and they lose in six or seven, Babcock's back. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Let's see how you make a coaching change at that point. If you go out in seven against the Boston Bruins or, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning or whoever, then then perhaps that's that's completely different. But um, I, I, I just see more, you know, if, if Babcock does come into question, for me it's more next spring, post-playoffs, if it even comes to that. Uh, not not so much in uh, November or December. Well, it's such a results-driven business. So, I mean, and the biggest time to get the results is when you have a team like the Maple Leafs right now with all the oh, talent sure. they do, they have yeah. to do something in the playoffs. So, you're right. So, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit quick to the jump to say, well, I want to see Keith. And I say Keith because of all the relationships with the players he has on the team as well that have groomed and come up. You know, you look at Kapanen's, you look at... Um, you know, the Janssen's, you look at Dermot's and go on and on and on, you know. So, yep. I mean, the relationships are there, obviously, with Dubas, too. So, I, I agree with you. I, the playoffs will be the barometer, and if he can't, yep. well, then uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, yeah, like I said, I, I just don't see – I just don't see this club as, it, as it's put together now um, stumbling out of the gate. Uh, I just – I know that, you know, and having said that, you look at the league schedule, it has some interesting opponents to start in October, but uh, – I mean, they should be better than a lot of opponents on most nights. And that should then lead to victories. But like I said, uh, stranger things have happened in this game. But uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to the start of it so we can actually stop talking about some of these things that are going on. And, so <laughs> yeah. and, get, and, get, and get this team on the ice and see what it's capable of and, and whether how all the steps fits and all that. I mean, it's just, uh, like I kind of said earlier, it's, it's an exciting time. And um, I think this team is going to be... Uh, you know, do some good things this year. It is going to be a very exciting time. The last thing I want to touch on you with Terry is the, um, the dreaded RFA question. We see what happened now with all of the RFA still sitting out across the league. Um, Is this going to be the new norm of the way the players are going to do business? And soon it'll be such a commonplace that we won't even bat an eye that a guy is sitting out. And I asked this because you listened to Connor McDavid and the comments that he made about signing and making sure it was done so he didn't miss camp, so he was involved with the team. I'm wondering mm-hmm. what your thoughts are on the RFAs and, and is this going to be the way it is? Or should players take Connor McDavid's lead and learn that you need to be there and ever present with your team to make sure you're taking the right steps to get bigger and better? Well, I would think that if you're an RFA, you would sit up and take notice uh, no matter what uh, Connor McDavid is talking about. And as, this, as these sorts of things apply to them, you would really listen to what he's saying. But that's easy for us to say. Uh, on an individual basis, I mean, although there is this group of them right now and all of them excellent hockey players whose teams will be not as good as they could be with these guys not signed, 
it comes down to the individual. And it just so happens right now that, you know, there are how many of them right now in the same boat? Is it seven or eight? You know, I don't have the names in front of me, but it's, 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 it's up there. Right. And it's quite a substantial. It, list. It, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and is this an anomaly going forward? Do does, does history uh, or the, the, you know, a, a year from now, do we look back and say, okay, you know, six of these guys signed here, here are the seasons that they had here, are the difficulties they had perhaps making the adjustments. Hey, maybe they, they all signed and came back and, and like I've kind of said with Larner, we're able to pick it right up and there were, there were no negative effects. Does that then impact how future RFAs look back and see, okay, well, what happens if, what could potentially happen if I miss a training camp, B October and C November of my team's regular seasons? You know, you look back at what happened to Elander last year. Okay, well, that wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, that's a case at, study right there. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's uh, – I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Uh, the next CBA, who knows what comes out of that in, in, in regard to this sort of thing. Um, you know, this this year, like I said, could be an anomaly with so many. And, you know, I, I'm curious now as to see the, the, the domino effect, obviously, of, of who goes first. And then what comes after that? But uh, you know, listen, it behooves every player to be to, to be in camp, to, to 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 have that from day one, to um, to be around your teammates. As much as Marner has, has seen some of his teammates over the summer, uh, you know, there are several of the guys who got married, this sort of thing, have been weddings to be at. There's going to be a real piece of his heart, you know, back in Toronto, wherever he is. Once camp or in St. John's, I guess, but once camp starts in a couple of weeks, knowing that he's not there and knowing what he's missing, and um, you know, I guess we'll have to see whether those sorts of things have a negative impact later. But um, it, it's hard to say what the norm is going to be. It just happens like right now we have this group of, of A-level talent all in all in a similar situation, and uh, you know, perhaps other RFAs, like I said, will look back at this and say, okay, here's what I think I have a better idea of what I'm going to do because of what happened with this group in 2019. Hard to say, but I would imagine that'll have a little bit of an impact. No, definitely. Well, it's something we'll see, like you said, when the dominoes start to fall and who starts to sign. But Terry, I want to thank you very much for taking the time with us. Like I said, to to hop here, it's been a little bit of a, you know, a back and forth trying to get on. And I really appreciate you taking the time and hopefully we can talk to you throughout the season and pick your brain here and there. That'd be great. I appreciate you guys asking me, and I'm glad that uh, it did finally work here. We were able to sneak this in before the season gets going. But, yeah, I'd love to come back on and, and talk hockey with you anytime. It'd be great. That was Terry Koshan. He is the beat reporter for the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Toronto Sun. Be sure to check him out all season long as he is delving into your Maple Leafs there every single day, every game. Like we said, we'll pick his brain throughout the season to get more information and to keep you up to date on things we'd like to know about the Maple Leafs. All right, guys, that's it for the Leafs talk tonight. Have yourself a good one. Stay offside.